Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There's that old saying, those who ignore history are destined to repeat it. And maybe in that light, our next guest has written a piece in a publication called theconversation.ca. It could be the basis of some difficult conversations. Hopefully, though, not this one. Sean Noreen is a professor of international relations and political science with St. Thomas University. The article is called The World's Most Powerful Democracies Were Built on the Suffering of Others. It is a thought-provoking article. And Sean, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us today. Oh, uh, you're more than welcome. Um, One of the starting points for your article uh, is pointing to moves, and some of them fairly recent moves, by the United States on foreign policy that actually run counter to some of the founding principles of democracy. Um, Well, I guess that's true in a way, but I I try to point out in the article that uh, what I'm talking about is Joe Biden's articulation of saying that the, the conflict right now in the world is between democracy and authoritarian governments. And uh, I point out that the United States itself has a long history uh, of overthrowing and undermining democracies when it wants to, and also of supporting authoritarian governments when it's in their interest. And so uh, I don't think it's credible to argue that this is really what the what the conflict, if there is a conflict, is about. And uh, I point out that I think the U.S. itself is simply putting things in these terms in order to maintain its own position in the international system. I also point out that the United States at this moment in time, and arguably, frankly, for its entire history, um, the nature and quality of American democracy is highly questionable. And uh, whether or not they're in a position to really present themselves as the exemplar, as the, uh, you know, the, the demonstration of democracy is an open question. Well, there are those who have said that some of the attacks against the United States have actually come as a backlash to its foreign policy. Um, and, and those people who have said those things have suffered for that criticism. Well, I suppose that might be true. But it's also, I think, true to say that at least some of the attacks absolutely are a result of uh, a backlash to to American foreign policy. You know, um Many people, you know, after the the September 11th attacks many years ago now, more than 20 years ago now, many people kept referring to a book by a scientist, a political scientist named Chalmers Johnson about the notion of a blowback. And Johnson's idea was, in fact, that foreign policy has unintended consequences. When you're the biggest, most active power in the world, your foreign policy is going to have consequences. It's going to inspire some kind of pushback. Well, you know, I think they're seeing that play out on their southern border right now. The uh, the policy of supporting other countries and sending money for programs um, and then cutting all of that off, that's led to a destabilization of those countries. And that's led to the migrant problem that they're experiencing now. Uh, yes, I agree with that. And I think that's often the case uh, in these sorts of situations. Um, you can also argue, you know, that that one of the major problems facing the um, people in the Ameri- in these Latin America today is um, due, due to things like climate change and climate change. You know, um, the Western world and the United States in particular has heavily um, caused that to a large degree. Well, and and when we start to see more and more of um, things like the rising of the oceans, where there are going to be more countries that have less uh, footprint around the world, they have less space, they're going to be going to countries like the United States and like Canada in increasing numbers. 
Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, climate change is something I touch on in the article at the very end, because one of my major points is simply that I think trying to divide the world between democracies and, and authoritarian regimes is a very, very counterproductive, a very destructive move that we're at this moment in time where we really face a genuinely existential threat in the form of climate change. And we need global cooperation on a scale that we've never seen before. And yet, instead of trying to pursue that, uh, Western powers, particularly the United States, are led by the United States, certainly, seem to be trying to foment this highly divisive approach to the international system. Now, I think someone would come back and say, well, you know, uh, the present situation where Russia has invaded Ukraine, that speaks to the argument that authoritarian regimes are on the march. Um, I think it's quite a bit more complicated than that. But if you put aside Russia for a moment, uh, China is the main target of what Joe Biden is saying. And China just doesn't have a record, uh, at least not over the past several decades, of trying to force its authoritarian system on other countries. And so they're really, if China is the major target of this particular propaganda approach, um, it really hasn't done anything to inspire this particular idea. Well, I think one of the, the points you're driving at is uh, a move towards more nationalism. And and we've seen a move farther to the right in European Union countries. I think Spain is one of the few exceptions uh, in their most recent election. But but we're seeing that more and more. Uh, yes. Well, the rise of right-wing populism in Europe, and, and of course, obviously, in the United States, too, and perhaps, you know, we're going to see more of it here in Canada, it's a very worrying sign. Uh, and I think there are a whole variety of reasons for this. Um it has to do with economic inequality. Um, it has to do with political instability that's followed as a result. Um, in the European case, it's also a significant backlash against immigrants and migrants trying to make it into Europe. And again, a lot of those migrants are actually people who are either fleeing from um, effects of things like climate change or they're fleeing from wars that often have been caused or exacerbated by the foreign policy of Western countries. And so we see this this sort of you know, again, as you were saying earlier, um, actions have consequences. There are there is a backlash, a result as uh, um, following from these things. Yeah, you know, with uh, actions have consequences, getting back to uh, uh, some of the foreign policy problems, you know, people, you get that nationalist feeling or sentiment in the population saying, you know, you're spending all this money on other nations and helping those people, but we've got problems here at home. Then they roll back in that money. It doesn't really seem to help the problems here at home. But now you've got this migrant problem that's going on in the U.S. And nobody seems to be talking about those programs again. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, I don't want to necessarily pick on the United States alone here, but the United States is spending about $1 trillion on its military this year. And that apparently is completely uncontroversial. Uh, on the other hand, um, Joe Biden's attempt to deal with climate change is going to involve about $350 billion worth of spending over 10 years. Now, that's a lot of money, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to the vast amounts of money that they're spending on the military. And I think the fact that you can put so much cash into something as destructive as the military, and frankly, in many ways, useless, um, and that ha and that can happen without any sort of real debate whatsoever, while at the same time you debate whether or not to spend on social policy or helping mitigate the effects of climate change or environmental policy, it speaks to much deeper kinds of fundamental structural problems 
um, in a United American society and maybe Western society in general. I think that's a, a point that's very well made. Sean Noreen is a professor of international relations and political science at St. Thomas University. We're talking about his article that appears in theconversation.ca. Sean, Canada has had a reputation of being, you know, kind of everybody's friend. Everybody likes us. But we are really just starting to understand what is in our history, what our democracy has been built on. And uh, some of it is not so good. Yes, well, that's sort of the second part of the article where I try to make the point that we in the Western world seem to think that other countries should be democracies like us. And we also seem to believe that it's a very simple thing to do. They just have to choose to be democracies, you know, to to create the institutions, to have free and fair votes, things like that. And what I try to point out is that, first off, democracies cannot simply be wished into existence. It's a very difficult and complicated process. And then when we look at our own history, the history of much of the Western world is a history of extraordinary violence, like democracies that have been successful in places like, let's assume for a moment the American democracy is successful, like the United States, like Canada, like England, like Britain. they were built on genocide, slavery. In the case of the British, the amount of wealth that they extracted from their colonies in order to build up themselves and invest across the rest of Europe in order to build the rest of Europe is absolutely mind-blowing. It's staggering. And so this is the, the way in which we built our successful democracies. I mean, we have a democracy in Canada, for the most part, that is one of the envies of the world. Um, you know, we we have civil rights, we have all sorts of protections, high qualities of uh, standards of living. The question we have to ask is who exactly paid for all of that? What did we do to make those things happen? And the simple answer is, you know, we committed cultural genocide and stole all the land from the the, the um, um, in, indigenous people of Canada. And we're frankly not that bad compared to many other countries in the world that today say they are successful democracies, and then criticize everywhere else. Now, I think democracy is a good idea, and most of the world thinks that's a good idea, thinks it's a good idea, and want to have democracies like are, exist in the West. But we can't pass ourselves off as a good example to follow if we really claim to care about things like human rights or the peaceful transition to democracy. That's just not what we did for the most part. No, but, you know, something else that I think we are starting to pay attention to, we're starting to learn more about, but perhaps we still need to do more um, with regards to supporting refugees, cleaning up environmental messes, uh, supplying clean drinking water for First Nations lands, and living up to our treaties. Oh, absolutely. Uh, But I mean, all of this speaks to how easy it is to have an illusion about what it is that countries like Canada actually are, as opposed to the reality. Um, And and maybe, again, maybe for Canada, you know, for most Canadians, Canada works pretty well. And then there are marginalized groups who are particularly targeted, you know, targets of discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That isn't uncommon, right? And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, a, a political system that works well for the majority of its people is a good system, or at least a better system. Um, but at the same time, I think we've got to be a lot more humble when we go around the world and we tell people how we think they should be organizing their own political systems, how we think they should be living. 
Because if we do that without being honest about our own history and the way in which we got where we are, then the hypocrisy is overwhelming. I also think it's counterproductive and it's actually very damaging to um, to ourselves because we aren't really seeing what's there. We aren't really honestly wrestling with the reality of how difficult it is to create a working democracy. Sean, what are you hoping that people will take from your article? What are you hoping will happen? Well, I want people to appreciate that, uh, as I said earlier, getting a democracy to work is a really complex and difficult thing. Um, We have to understand, we have to approach the rest of the world with a humble attitude that says, we can't just say to people, look, follow our lead, follow our example, look at what we've done. All you've got to do is do the same thing without being clear and honest about what exactly we really did to get to this point and who we stepped on to get there. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, yes, bringing democracy, having people be ruled by governments that respect them and are accountable to them is a good idea. But we need to be willing to accept that there is considerable complexity in this and recognize that and just simply be a lot less arrogant in how we approach the world. We have to cooperate at the international level, and we're not going to get a lot of people willing to cooperate with us when we're basically stepping all over them. Well, certainly a a thought-provoking article. And Sean, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you very much. Have a good day. You too. Sean Noreen is a professor of international relations and political science with St. Thomas University. His piece in theconversation.ca is the world's most powerful democracies were built on the suffering of others. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.